for the wake up. I'm so grateful for another day to help stimulate the mental. Time to strategize, cuddle up, wish a circle. I can feel the moment radiate through the convo. Talk is cheap, turn your faith into work. I drink my second cup and put my hands in the dirt. Two cups, drinking straight drip from the earth. Caffeinated conversation, you heard him here first. Two Cups Cafe. I'm your host, Brother Al, Pastor Al. Two Cups, your friend, your family member, not your foe, because I don't hate on nobody. And today I got a special guest with me today, my main man, Dr. Sweeney, uh, all the way from Toledo, Ohio. What's up, Cal? What's up, Pastor Brother Al? <laughs> not much, man. i just so glad you joined me today just for a, a high-quality, caffeinated conversation, man. Um I'm just getting into this uh, space, but I really appreciate you being my first guest because you may not know, but um, you're one of the ones that inspired me to go into this space. Um, I've known you for over 30 years now, man. Um, wow. You're a good friend of mine, good mentor. Um, you provoke all kind of things in me. So can you just give me a little background on yourself? Yeah, man. Well, first of all, thanks for having me on this uh, this show today. Um, I'm a cheap guest, you know, a cup of coffee, and I'm here. I'm sitting with you. Uh, it's good to be here. Um, thank you for that greeting. You know, uh, we've known each other for a long time, but just you know, hearing you say those words, you know, just mean a lot. Um, but as you know, others may not know, I'm a native of Toledo, Ohio, born and raised, sure. um, representing the streets of Lawrence and Delaware. All right. Whoop, whoop. But, you know. <laughs> Um, you know, graduated from Macomer Whitney High School, uh, proud Mac man, um, Toledo proud, University of Toledo, a graduate, got strong roots here, okay. um, family here, a lot of friends here. So, yeah, that's that, that's a nutshell, um, just who I am. Yeah, for sure. Um, I know you was a wrestling <laughs> Wrestling, a uh, superstar back in the day. I wrestled too, but I didn't. I didn't like quite reach that uh, those accolades. Um, can you tell me a little bit. Uh, you was college wrestler, right? Yeah, you know, being a college wrestler, um, it all started though just uh, roughhousing around in the <laughs> living room with cousins and friends from the right. neighborhood. You know, we just do pile ons, and I always found myself getting up from the bottom of the pile onto the top of the pile. You know, and I feel like you know I had this this. Uh, this knack to move my body and know where I was and to balance myself. And so uh, that was going on, man, maybe in mid-elementary grades. And when I got to junior high school, I actually learned that there was something called wrestling. It wasn't big-time wrestling. Right, you know, right. You wasn't wrestling. You wasn't wrestling. No, I wasn't wrestling. I wasn't dropping elbows, you know. But, man, when I realized it was a thing that you could do in school, and I knew I was already gifted at, you know, putting people down on the ground, and I gravitated to it, and, and I did well. I won some junior high city titles and, you know, went to high school, won some district regionals, even uh, two freestyle state championships. And uh, I got recruited by a lot of colleges and chose to stay local and wrestle for the university. Oh, I can't say the. <laughs> that's a the. thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> the University of Toledo. <laughs> All right, man. Well, so I know you did college wrestling and – and things of that nature. I mean, just being from where we're from, like athletics is a huge part. But what I really wanted to get into talking to you about today is like education, right? Because um, you have a doctorate degree in. What's your doctorate degree in? Yeah, man. My doctorate degree is in um, leadership and educational theory and social foundations. Okay. So in layman terms, what does that mean? 
so educational theory has to do with the different ways that people learn. Um, okay. We call it pedagogical methods. Um, the way that um, students learn uh, strategies for teachers to teach. Um, social foundation means like how social structures influence and affect okay. uh, education, um, anything from the family uh, to corporate America, like all of these uh, different structures kind of impact the way education goes. And then obviously leadership is about how do you lead in education in such a way to get the outcomes that you want. So I assume, but I'm not going to just take it for granted that the way you came up, because you mentioned like just for our viewers that are not from Toledo, you mentioned the area of Lawrence and Delaware that um, you came from. So just for those that don't know, it's a part of town that had experienced some blight in the past. Um, a lot of, uh, it's considered inner city or, or a neighborhood structure. But when you got to thinking about um, your doctorate, like how did your upbringing, and then can you tell me a little bit about it, how did that play into the, the, the field that you chose to study? Yeah. Um, so my upbringing, yeah, our neighborhood had a lot of challenges, right? And particularly in the late 80s, early 90s, um, when uh, the drug epidemic really like just was ablaze. And okay. So you're talking about crack. Yeah. I don't know. You're right. So it's different now, right? Back then it, it was it was crack. And so mm, sports were a way to, that I kind of kept my nose clean a little bit. And, um, and school wasn't wasn't always important to me. It wasn't until I was... Uh, in the seventh grade at Old West End uh, Junior High School, when um, I had a teacher, Miss Somerville, okay. she she was the first teacher that like literally looked at me and told me that I was smart, okay. and uh, told me I didn't need to be in a regular math class, and that she was moving me into the advanced class. And uh, for whatever reason, my sixth grade teachers didn't put me in honors class, but my junior high school teachers realized there was something going on with me, and they moved me into the honors classes. And that's when I kind of said, you know what? man, maybe I am smart, you know, right. maybe I need to take this a little bit more seriously. And it was from that moment in junior high school when a teacher like Miss Somerville, like noticed there was something different about me in my academic uh, acumen that I was like, man, let me, let me get a little more serious about this. Mm -hmm. And from seventh grade on, I've always been on the honor roll and the national junior national honor society, national honor society. Most people think I just went to college on a wrestling scholarship, right. but I also went to college on the academic scholarship. So, you know, education, um, I had to play it off though because it wasn't like cool to be like smart like, oh yeah in junior high, in high school so you know i figured out how to like you know be cool be that guy but also you know when everyone else is clowning and wilding out and not finishing their work and their reports i was still that guy that had the homework done mm -hmm. and had the reports done and people were surprised when i graduated you know in the top um was a top 12 in my class so okay it's like wait a minute sweeney i thought you was doing everything we were doing i'm like yeah but <laughs> yeah and you know what i'm right. saying so you know, that, that, so my love for learning was sparked in. And so one of the ways that I figured I can make a great difference was to be an educator and uh, be that Miss Somerville to somebody else so okay. that they could believe in themselves academically. So you had started off like being a, uh, when you graduated college, you were a school teacher for many years. And um, so I was just thinking about like, just in my own journey, like you helped me a lot as far as, you know, in education. I, um, like, I, I just graduated high school, and straight from high school, I went to to work. You know what I'm saying? My thing has always been about work. I was raised by my grandparents, and my grandfather, man, he sat me down and just explained to me how everything in life revolved around work and paying bills. 
So it wasn't about no big ideas. It wasn't about changing the world. It was about you got to get up, get out of here, get a job, and take care of yourself because I'm not going to do it. So from a young age, I had my first job at 11 years old at Charlie's Waffle House, man. I, I used to ride my bicycle and I used to bust tables. I was so young that the people working, the people that was patrons there thought that I must be, uh, I must be related to the owner. But I was like, no, I, I don't. I'm not related to the owner. My grandfather said I had to get a job. And I was like, how am I going to get a job? And I'm 11 years old. But lo and behold, <laughs> he put it out there and somebody hired me and I worked. But like, so where did your, like, mm. that come from, from little? Like, we talked about being an inner city. We talked about, but education, like, even though you had a good teacher, but education, like, had to come from somewhere. Was it as a result of say, I don't want to do this, so I'm going to learn this, or what was it? Man, that's 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 good, man. You you sparked that thought that I needed to add to that early continuum of my interest in education. When you said being raised by your grandparents, I was raised by my great great aunt and uncle. Okay, uh, they were from Calhoun City, Mississippi, and they raised my myself and my my brother Michael. And one of the things that they would always tell us is that. They only got third grade education, okay, uh, because they 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 worked in the fields uh, picking cotton, right, um, being sharecroppers, and they didn't have the opportunity to go on an education. And as a kid, we thought that was kind of funny that they only right. had third grade educations, and um, you know we would kind of think once we got past third grade, you know, well, well, we'd be smarter than them. But we realized like, wow, no, we weren't smarter than them. Right, they, they knew a lot more, but. But my uncle and my aunt, they pushed education because they didn't have that opportunity. So it was always in our ear. And so um, they they pushed us to, to take advantage of the opportunities that they never had the opportunity to take advantage of. So I didn't take education lightly because I understood that from the people who were raising me, they were never afforded that opportunity. So once it started clicking, man, I realized that I had to take advantage of this. And my uncle told me, he said, you know, he he did construction. Okay. He was a hardworking man. And he would say to me, he said, Calvin, he said, I didn't have no choice but to have to work with my hands. Mm. I didn't get to go to school like you do. Right. He said, now, if you want to choose this work, he said, it's good work. It's hard work. You can make a good living. I'll teach you to trade. And showed me his hands. His hands was rough. You know, he said, but you don't have to do it. Yeah. And so I remember that. And I'm like, man, I'm going to try to see if I can do something else. And um, so education was 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 always put before me and my brother. Okay, so you you took it from the elementary school level to uh, the university level, as far as teaching, as far as learning, as far as uh, and even like where did that come from? Where not only do you want to get an education for yourself, but that need to to share it with somebody else? Yeah, I think that's for me was different because really. I didn't choose education, and this is going to sound spiritual, um, but in a sense, education chose me. Like, God, I, I remember that wasn't my first major in college. It wasn't education. Okay. I was really good at math. I did calculus in high school. And so my math teacher and others said, man, you need to go into engineering. So my initial uh, major in college was engineering. And then it was mathematics. Engineering, I, I wasn't able to draw. And there were some courses that we took where you need to be able to see three-dimensionally in depth mm -hmm. and that wasn't working for me. Like the math and the science part was good, but the perception and depth perception of some of the things we had to do, man, it just wasn't working. And so I found myself being frustrated uh, in my college experience. Uh, and, um, man, I was like one summer just sitting in my bedroom and 
all of a sudden the thought came to me, man, that you you can teach. Like you've always been a captain. Mm-hmm. You've always been um, the senpai in the dojo. Like you've been the one to help explain things to others when they couldn't get it. And I realized in that moment, sitting in my bedroom, like, man, you can do this. So this desire to want to see people do better, that's what education was about for me. It's like, man, I know I can help other people do better. And so that's what my goal was. That was my mission, my calling, that I was going to lead a group of students from the beginning of the year to the end of the year, okay. and everybody was going to be successful. So that 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 call, you know, my career became a calling. Right. So I know me and you, like I said, we've known each other for a long time. And from what I know about you is a difference between just the classroom curriculum because we have to learn things in school, right? But what I want to get to is – this uh, idea that you had with your dissertation about love-based education and and just rethinking the way that that things are taught in, in school or things are taught just from, you know, your pastor, uh, your community leader. Like, where did this love-based thing come from? So, like you said, like, um, you know, this desire to want to teach children, particularly in the inner city where I come from, where it was difficult and they had challenges – um, as I was teaching classes for 15 years, I noticed that the students were coming in my classroom more um, hopeless, okay. um, in despair, like not caring, don't care about learning, don't care about adults, don't care about other students. And this apathy that was right in front of me, that thing perturbed me. Mm-hmm. And that that perturbing caused me to start asking questions like why is this okay and so when i began to research how come our students in our community have such a sense of hopelessness and despair i found out it was because there was an absence of love like true unconditional practical strategic um, um methodology to meet the needs of students and community in such a way that it built up hope and so my my research of the question of why does the despair mm-hmm. and the hopelessness and the nihilism exist in our community I landed on the fact that it was because there was an absence of what we used to see in the civil rights era like where okay. the community loved community right. like where you had this environment where we built each other up and we had this sense of hope because we were loved so unconditionally in very strategic and practical ways. It was now absent from our communities. Right. And so now students are in your classroom. They didn't care. And so the way that I figured that I could help as an educator was to develop a educational theory pedagogy that could uh, have these methodologies a part of our teaching practicum so that our kids were not just learning academically, but they would be built up in their self-esteem and their self-worth right. and their self-reliance and their self-efficacy, you know, so that they could do those things that others were doing. That's powerful, man, because I just know from a personal, you know, uh, experience, I mean, I missed a lot of days of school because, you know, uh, how you say Maybe I didn't have clean clothes or maybe, uh, you know, I, I had a couple outfits or whatever. And I'm like, man, I just wore that two days ago. I just wore that yesterday. Or maybe, you know, my sneaks was foul. You know, that's why, you know, a lot of things I do today, I think, come from just uh, going without and just realizing, like, because I work with young men today, just realizing I try to take away those those barriers. So you, you call it love, but I know a lot of school systems today, you know, they have clothes, clothing closets, they have um, resource rooms and things of that nature. When I was coming up, 
you know, we didn't necessarily have that. But as you said, like it used to be community. So your community would take care of that. And I, I know a lot of work you're doing today is to bring the community back into the education process. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So I realized that my own as, as one individual, I could only do so much. Um, but I was I was determined to do as much as I could. And so, like you say, most uh, people think that education is primarily what the teacher does in front of the classroom, right. teaching the curriculum. And they don't realize that 80 percent of the other things that impact learning are things that are, have nothing to do with the curriculum. Like you said, you know, do I have on clean clothes? Do I smell? How do I smell? You mm-hmm. know, do I have food to eat? Like, um, I don't learn like other people. And so when you approach education from a love-based perspective, you recognize that those needs being met are essential for the success of that student academically. And so you begin to teach in a way. And, it, and it's how you do it, too. Like, I don't just throw clothes at you because you don't right, have right, clothes, right. but here goes some clothes or here goes some deodorant and go do something with it. It's like how I do it, too. And just because you got on my nerves today, you know, love is forgiving. Like, it keeps no record of wrong. So when you step in my classroom tomorrow, I'm not remembering what you did yesterday. And the, and you walk in, I'm mad at you at 8 o'clock in the morning because of what you did yesterday right. at 2.30 p.m. Like, love keeps no record of wrongs, right? Love seeks the best for the other. Like, when when you do something, like, I'm, I'm going to seek the best. I look for mitigating circumstances. Maybe something's going on at home. I don't know what happened on your way to school. You know what I'm saying? I don't know if your lights got turned off. So Mm -hmm. love looks for mitigating circumstances as to why this is taking place. So I'm doing this as an individual in my classroom. I realized that if I was a professor, I could help teachers, you know, be better prepared when they enter the classroom to be more like me, you know, to have this this love-based pedagogical approach to teaching students. Then the work that we're doing now through the Art Tatum Zone um, is an expansion of that. It is um, exponentially increasing the impact that we can have on education because now through the Art Tatum Zone, we can work in various um, environments like we can do after school, we can do mm-hmm. summer school, we can do weekend school. Uh, we can also be in more than one school at a time because now we're not confined to one locale. Mm-hmm. And so now what happens through the Artatum Zone, it is infused with this love-based uh, pedagogy, right? So that that even as we are, are operating our mission, man, we're making sure that we're doing those things to where I was one person doing it or maybe impacting the class of 25 uh, teacher students right. uh, preparing to be teachers that are at the university to go out and do it now. I mean, we're touching hundreds of kids, mm-hmm. hundreds of people. Like last year, we our outreach programs touched like 30,000 people. So this whole love-based ideology, man, uh, uh, 30,000 people last year were touched by that versus I'm a third-grade teacher, I'm an eighth-grade teacher, right. and maybe there's 50 kids. So you can see how the work has begun to spread you know, as we've kind of done some of the new things we're doing. So how do you get past the um, the trust issue that the community has? Because I know a lot of times when, when people um, come into the community, and that's a big thing, is that they try to make change, but there's 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 the trust factor of people coming in. Um, no matter what color you are, there's this um, this savior complex that the people that already live there they have a guard up. Because I know, like, I had teachers or or I don't want to say social workers or whatnot try to help me or reach out to me, but I was automatically closed off. And how do you get past that that trust barrier? Yeah, it is it is that it is literally. Um, um, finding the need, learning the need, not mm-hmm. assuming the need, not assuming you know the need, whether it's in a community or in a classroom. Um, love seeks to discover. Mm-hmm. 
You know, the Bible says that love unselfishly seeks the best for others. So I'm seeking out the best for you. And when people see that you're authentic and you're really seeking out their best, like they're not a, they're not a means to your end, but they are an end. Right. And you want to help them be the best version of their end. Like that changes things. That, that's how you start to build trust. And so you got to be consistent with that. So consistency is important. You know, people come in and they say they're going to do this and it looks like they, they're unselfishly seeking the best, but they don't have the longevity. So my motive's got to be pure, that right. I'm unselfishly. And unselfishly mean I, I don't want nothing out of this. Like I'm not doing this. Like I'm not setting you up. I'm not, I'm not offering you food because I want something on the back end. I'm not trying to make sure that your heat is on. I'm not trying to make sure your lights are on. I'm not trying to make sure things are going better for you because I want your vote, mm-hmm. you know, because I want you to buy my product. I, so I, there's not like a, <laughs> you don't like find a grant and see that, okay, there's money in this area, so I'm going to address that. Right. So there's you saying that you, are, you already have a strategic uh, outlook on things to whether or not there's an there's a income from it that you want to provide this service. Absolutely. I think one of the worst things that we can do is to uh, chase grants. I think we need to have an idea of what the need is, do the best we can to meet that need, partner and collaborate with others who can help to meet that need versus saying, hey, there's money over here and we have no idea what we're doing. We have no idea who to help us, you Mm -hmm. know, implement, you know, what the said grant is about. And people sense that. And really, we're not unselfishly seeking the best. We can actually be more a hindrance or more of a danger than we can be a benefit if, if we're not, if that's not part of what we are already intentionally doing. Okay. So let me ask you this. So part of my, uh, the two cups for me is my first cup is about ideas and about stimulation, about that. But then when I, when I think about the second cup, that's the implementation. That's the, that's doing the work. So we talked about a lot of things about uh, how you got into education, the work that you're already doing. But I want uh, two things I want to ask you. Like, what's some big idea that you would have pertaining to education? It don't have to be all the way thought out. And then what is something that you feel like could be implemented just on this, even if it's just one person? Mm. So my big idea, you know, for education is – Understanding, again, like the social foundations part of my education, of my doctoral degree, helps me understand that the social structures in our society, uh, be it government, be it um, um, private sector, um, be it community, um, be it family, like all of these social structures impact um, the educational outcome, like the social determinants Mm -hmm. of education. So uh, all of the factors in a community – they kind of come together as an amalgamation and they impact the outcome of educational opportunities. So my big dream is to build smart communities. Smart like, community? Yeah, smart communities where we are learning what the needs are for that community, for it to be a thriving community, not just um, a community that's surviving. Okay. And so what does that mean to have you know uh, safe housing and affordable housing, uh, mixed income communities, uh, communities where um, we don't have uh, food deserts, where uh, uh, the residents have opportunity to have access to um, good, uh, healthy food. And, you know, the, the neighborhoods are safe that they're traveling um, and the, the schools are thriving. Mm. Right. So we assess the community. We see what the needs are. We see what the assets are and we leverage assets to begin to meet needs and have communities where people want to live in, where people 
people are proud of. So, and and when you have communities like that, right, um, you're going to have educational outcomes that reflect that community as such. So that that's what I'm dreaming about. Like, how do we put our arms around a community and make it be best? Mm. So, from a implementation standpoint, like, how would you like? What's the first step for somebody to have like, like that big goal like that? Yeah, think big, start small. <laughs> you gotta think big. You gotta start small for sure. And because if you don't, you'll never start. I and mean, some people think big and they want to start big, and right. then they always they're trying to figure out why they never got started. And a year later, they never got started because they want to think big and start big. But the Bible says that God rejoices at the starting of a thing. Mm. The Bible says, "Despise not small beginnings." So you gotta not despise the fact that you can only help one person. Okay. But you help one person like the way you want to help everybody. You might only be able to help one household. You might only be able to focus on one block. Like we're going to eliminate blight in this one block. Right. You might only be able to focus on one school. So think big, start small, right? And and you work your way that way. That sounds great, man. I mean, like I said, like it's it's a joy for me to have you here because I remember you you introduced me to some to some key things that I practice today. One was just thinking about what you're thinking about. I mean, you call it a uh, metacognition, right? So it was thinking about what you're thinking about. So a lot of times when I just sit in the morning and I kind of just meditate on my day, I'm thinking about what I'm thinking about. And, and, and you've helped me a lot in that area. Um, what are some, some things that you're thinking about outside of education? <laughs> Man, I love that. Yeah, always thinking about what you're thinking about, being able to be reflective so you can be corrective, right? And even so you can look forward. But I think outside of education, um, you know, my wife and I, you know, we, we really consider ourselves also social entrepreneurs. So we're just looking at ways that how, um, you know, we can be more strategic um, in in the community, um, in, in social endeavors, um, and trying to build um, – really trying to build people like we really call see ourselves called like like education for us is not just what happens in the school building right um i have a saying where the world is my classroom okay. and i learned this from my uncle like i said he had a third grade education but i realized i probably learned more from him i remember i was taking a calculus class mm-hmm. and he was able to answer some of these questions i had in my textbook and he didn't go about it the same way our teachers showed right. us and so i learned real early that it doesn't matter what type of formal education you have you have something to offer and so for us it, it is still like Educating the community, helping people to become better entrepreneurs, For helping sure. people to tap into their dreams. Um, that's just really what we see ourselves doing, helping to develop people, um, and not just in a school building, but outside, and not just kids, but adults. Right? And I, I think my mission is just to help people be better. That sounds great, man. And, man, this is like I could talk to you all day. It's a lot of things that I didn't get into that, you know, maybe we come back and talk about it again. You know, like I said, the two cups, it's this trying to have these conversations to where we have these ideas first and then even get to a point to where we can start implementing. And for people that's watching to really, um, I want to inspire people to, to get past thinking about doing something. Like you said, start, think big, start small, and just what can they do today? What can you do tomorrow that you can, you know, start, doing some of those things that you feel like that, that God has inspired you to do. So I just want to thank you again for coming out, man. And, um, just, man, appreciate you.
Thanks, bro.